0: as we go into the scriptures and look again at the book of Job, as friends who have such a one-sided view of you, we pray that you still give us new insight into who you are and what you can accomplish in our lives and in our church and in our cities. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're on to Job's third friend today, Zophar. And as I studied Zophar, I looked and I said, you know what? He really doesn't have anything new to say. All his other friends have already said it. And he's not adding a whole lot more to the story. He's, like his other two friends, just piling on on Job. He, he affirms again that God is mighty. And he uses that might for punishment. But we found that God also uses that might for salvation. Zophar... Also affirms that God is just, forgetting that God is just even when life is unjust. We live in an unfair world. So I was looking for a new perspective. I wanted to not just look at, well, what is the nature of God? What are God's attributes? But if God has all this might and power and justice, how do we know that he can actually get it done? And so that's how we're going to look at Zophar. How do I know that God can actually accomplish things with his might? How do I know that God can actually accomplish justice? Because just because I say something about myself or about God doesn't necessarily make it true. Just because I believe something doesn't make it true. Everybody know who uh, 16-year-old Greta Thunberg is? She was Time Person of the Year for last year. 16 years old, she has a belief about climate change that may or may not be true, but she really believes it. And to be honest, just one person, her, she doesn't have the power to change it. She has the power to make speeches and maybe get more people involved, but she believes something very earnestly. She can't prove it, and she can't make anything happen. But God, in his righteousness, is unstoppable. See, God's righteousness always prevails. And that's how we're going to look at what Zophar has to say. Zophar, like his friends, has this one-sided view of God, but he's right. So we're going to start in Job chapter 11, Zophar's first speech. Job chapter 11, starting verse 7. He says to Job, Can you fathom the depths of God or discover the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens. What can you do? They are deeper than Sheol. That's the grave. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. If he passes by and throws someone in prison or convenes a court, who can stop him? Surely he knows which people are worthless. If he sees iniquity, will he not take note of it? And then Zophar's second speech is in Job chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 4. Says, Don't you know that ever since antiquity, from the time a human was placed on the earth, the joy of the wicked has been brief and the happiness of the godless has lasted only a moment. Though his arrogance reaches heaven and his head touches the clouds, he will vanish forever like his own dung. Those who know him will ask, where is he? Will he fly away like a dream? He will fly away like a dream and Never be found. He will be chased away like a vision in the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more. And his household will no longer see him. His children will beg from the poor. From his own hands must give back his wealth. His frame may be full of youthful vigor. But it will lie down with him in the dust. First thing that Zophar, that we can look at, take from Zophar's uh, speeches here. Is my wickedness. Cannot impress God. Okay, God's not impressed by any bad thing that I do or anybody else does. He describes God, he says, when we look at the intelligence of God, how much God knows, the resources God has at his disposal, and the power God has to use all that knowledge and resources, he says, it's immeasurable. If we tried to measure how tall it is, we'd go up past heaven. If we tried to measure how deep it was, it would go deeper into the grave, into the earth. If we tried to measure how long it is, it would be like trying to measure the earth. From these ancient people, that's forever. He says, it would be wider than the sea. In every dimension... If you were trying to measure how much God has in intelligence and resources and power, you just couldn't measure it. It goes out infinity, in infinity in every direction. With all that power, he also says, God is the ultimate authority. He says, God is a judge who would do and can do whatever he wants in his court. And his court is all of creation. And God is also in his court. He's the perfect judge of character. He's the perfect inspector of our character and our motives and our actions. I don't know if you've ever seen court TV shows like Judge Judy. It's kind of funny. These these judges on TV, they, they do look at the evidence, but very quickly they can determine... It seems like they can determine from the attitude of the person who's telling the truth and who's, and who's telling a lie to them even before they hear the evidence by their attitude that they give the judge. And he's saying, this is God. God already knows all the evidence and he knows what's in the hearts of people. He says, that's, that's our God. Ultimate authority, ultimate power. And he says, but on the other side, look at us humans. He says, from the beginning of humanity, no evil has ever gotten away with. God has called every evil into account at some point. From the perspective of God and his eternity and time, when a person does evil and they find joy in it and happiness in it, it's only a fraction of a second. As long as my, my life may be, even if I lived to be 100, and if I was evil all the days of my life, and enjoyed my evil, compared to the lifetime of God, I only got a moment to enjoy that before my punishment came. He says, Despite how arrogant I might be in my evil deeds, that I think I will always get away with it, and even God couldn't stop me. He says, I'm going to vanish like human waste. And no one will even remember that evil person. Just be like a dream. A historical mythology. People that look for that evil person won't be able to find them. And the descendants will reap none of the benefits of that evil gain. I found an article about... A group of people, Peter, Rubel, Heiner, Hachhiger, Hotsch, and then three brothers, Alexander, Lewis, and Brian Stewart, Houston. These are the last five descendants of Adolf Hitler. And they've all decided, we're not having any kids. They said, this bloodline, this genetics, even though they are not evil people themselves, they said, this ends with us. There will be no more descendants of Hitler in the world ever. He says, in the end, all evil people die. And in some cases, completely wiped out. Now, Spoiler alert for movies. A few weeks ago, we did all Mighty Mouse themes. Today we're going to do Star Wars. You know, Emperor Palpatine, he dies in the end okay in the old Star Wars movies and the new ones okay and I'm know are you familiar with uh, the uh, the gospel of Judas have you ever heard of that text it's not in the biblical text so it's an extra kind of thing that was written a while back it's it's a Gnostics uh, gospel and they had a particular take on Judas that Judas was in on it on the crucifixion and Jesus' plan from the whole time. That Jesus basically told Judas, you understand what's going on, I need you to betray me so that I can die for the sins of the world. And so Judas was actually the, the most insider of all the disciples. But really, that's not what the Gospels present, and that's, that's contrary to what we're learning here about God. Really what it is is, Despite Judas's evil, God's plan was going to happen no matter what. Judas couldn't stop it. Whether he did evil or good, he didn't have to be in on it because God was doing it. And so, while it shouldn't be our plan to just let the world fall apart or you know, no matter, because we need to remember, no matter how bad the world gets, God is going to make it new. doesn't matter how much we evil we see in the world, God's going to fix it. Revelation 21.1, we have the promise, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more the unrighteousness that we have in our world and how we destroy the world, God's not impressed by it. He says, I can still fix it. And we should, it shouldn't be our plan either by active, active heresy or by inaction of a church, you know, of not making disciples. You know, we don't want to let the church become irrelevant either by our wrong actions or our inactions. But here's the thing, no matter how bad the church gets, God's still going to present his people as holy. Ephesians 5, 25-27, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. God wants the church to be healthy, but Jesus is going to make the church healthy. (laughs) And it shouldn't be my plan to go out every day individually and sin. It shouldn't be my plan to just be as evil as I can be. But no matter how much I may sin, God can and will conform me to the image of Christ. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the key verse For It's God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Our sin doesn't impress God. He's still going to do what he's going to do. He's still going to change the world. He's still going to form the church. He's still going to make me holy. The question is, am I his partner or am I his enemy? And, you know, it's not necessarily an easy attitude to maintain all the time. I might sin or I might have a particular thing that I'm struggling with in my own life Or I may see sin in the world that I feel powerless to change. So what do I do with that? Well, that's where we're going to get to Elihu, who's our voice of reason among Job's friends. His speech is in Job 35, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. He says, if you sin, how does it affect God? If you multiply your transgressions, what does it do to him? If you are righteous, what, what do you give him, or what does he receive from your hand? Your wickedness affects a person like yourself, and your righteousness, a son of man. See, just as my wickedness doesn't impress God, my righteousness cannot improve God. See, he, he starts off at the same point as his friends. He says, My sins don't stop God from using his might. Other people's sins don't stop God from using his might. God's going to do what he's going to do in his righteousness. But neither does my righteousness improve God's might. Then why do we do them? He gives us the answer. My bad deeds and my good deeds affect other people including myself when i do bad i don't hurt god but i do hurt somebody else and when i do good i don't add to god but i do help other people in empire strikes back now i hate to compare god to darth vader that's where this illustration is flawed but Luke has been training with Yoda to become this powerful Jedi but then he needs to go fly off and fight Darth Vader Darth Vader is there to trap him in Cloud City and so they start fighting with their lightsabers and Darth Vader thinks he has them trapped but Luke can do a super jump and he flies up to the ceiling and Darth Vader says impressive very sarcastically Because despite all the training that Luke has had with Yoda, he can't stop Darth Vader. Darth Vader starts tossing stuff at him and and cuts off his hand. Luke can't beat him. It doesn't matter how good Luke is at this point, Darth Vader is just unstoppable. But Luke does do some good for his friends. He allows them to escape. Same way, when I, it's not that God doesn't care if I do good or bad. God is still going to do what he's going to do. The question is, what am I going to do for other people? <laughs> See, God's not impressed. He is proud, though. <laughs> Remember how Job starts off? God says, have you considered my servant Job? Who's like him? God's very proud of Job, that he does righteous things. But he doesn't say, have you considered my my servant Job? Look how good he makes me. God's already God, with or without Job. But he wants Job to be good. Because Job does good things for other people. See, on the one side, we need to look at verses like Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. It's not that our righteous deeds don't mean anything, but... They don't make us God. It's not that, you know, God is proud and God is happy when we do good. When the church, when the people of the church do good things in their community, sometimes that's called the social gospel. And guess what? The social gospel cannot be separated from the gospel, the good news. Jesus didn't just send his disciples out to preach the kingdom of God his hand. They also went out and healed people. They did good. It didn't make Jesus any more Messiah than he already was, but he wanted them to do good. It's why we're planning a blood drive. It's good to do that. It doesn't make God more God, but it helps people. It's why we collect baby wipes for the pregnancy center. God wants us to be good. It doesn't make God more God, but it makes me more Christ-like. Ephesians 2.10 We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We do good because God wants us to do good, not to make our God God. Galatians 6 9. Let's not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. We got to just keep doing good. It's good for people, it's good for us. So I might have that sin that I'm struggling with, or see sin in the world that I can't change or I feel powerless to change, so what do I do? I just do good. That doesn't change God, because God is always good. But it does change me, and it changes others. So let's finish up. Job 36, starting in verse 5. Elihu again. He says, Yes, God is mighty, but he despises no one. He understands all things. He does not keep the wicked alive, but he gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his gaze from the righteous, but he seats them forever with enthroned kings, and they are exalted. If people are bound with chains and trapped by the cords of affliction, God tells them what they have done and how arrogantly they have transgressed. He opens their ears to correction and tells them to repent from iniquity. If they listen and serve him, they will end their days in prosperity and their years in happiness. But if they do not listen, they will cross the river of death and die without knowledge. So this is a follow-up to the last thing. My righteousness doesn't improve God, but God's righteousness improves me. See, Elihu realizes something. God is mighty, But that doesn't cause God to look down from heaven on us humans and say, Boy, you are just such lesser creatures. I'm kind of disgusted by you guys. God doesn't have that attitude. God instead looks at humanity and he both punishes evil and brings justice to the innocent. And God honors the righteous. If people are bound by their sin God doesn't just punish them God tells us how to get free. And he says those who listen to God on how to get free those people live well. Those who don't die in ignorance of what they could have been. Think of Yoda and Luke again. Yoda trained Luke. He also disciplined Luke. He chastised him. That's God. God does bring justice, and God also trains. You know, one of the things I had to learn in college, and I found that I'm not the only person, uh, this is a, a normal thing for college students, is to learn what faculty office hours are. I remember the first time in a college class and in my first semester and, and the teachers would say on the first day, my office hours are Tuesday, Thursday, you know, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. And when I heard the term office hours, I thought that meant that's when I'm in my office working. So don't bug me then. If, I, if I'm having office hours, that's for me in my office. Not knowing that what they meant is that's when I'm in my office for you. That's when I'm for sure going to be there, so if you need help, you can come. And that's part of when my college experience completely changed. Because I learned my professors weren't there just to grade me. They were there to give me a grade, but they were also there to help me. And so the due date for something might be a month away, but if I came in two weeks early and said, here's my paper, they would do a pre-grade on it and say, you know, if you fix this and fix this and this is good and fix that, but this is good, you'll get an A. Thanks. I felt like I was cheating. You just told me how to fix my paper. That's the teacher's job. (laughs) Those who listen live well. God is there to grade us, and God is there to help us. The people in the Old Testament times saw this in the law. Psalm 119, 142, the psalmist writes, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your instruction is true. He says, when, I, when he sees the instructions of God, the law, and considers the righteousness of God, he says, this is a good thing for me. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, again, to help us, John 16, 13, says, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears, and he will also declare to you what is to come. We have the Scriptures, the law, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us to the truth, and Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness. God gives us all these tools so that we can listen to him and get better. But the most important thing, beyond all these written words, which are important, and the Holy Spirit, which is super important, is the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus said of himself in John 8.36, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. In Second Corinthians 5.21, He made the one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. If God's righteousness is unstoppable, And Jesus became, took on my sin so I could become the righteousness of God. The church's righteousness is unstoppable. Because it's not the church's righteousness, it's God's. (laughs) See, the good righteousness that I do, that we do as a church, it changes me, it changes others. And I can do it because God's righteousness is unstoppable. I will admit, my righteousness is stoppable. (laughs) There are times when I can be defeated. But God's righteousness, teaching me, empowering me through the Holy Spirit, making me the righteousness of God through the sacrifice of Christ, that's unstoppable. I've been mildly following the uh, impeachment trial in the Senate. We've got people players who at least on some level are powerful. We've got the Senate. We've got the House of Representatives. We've got the President of the United States. We've got the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court all involved in this. We have all these people that have a piece of power and ideological sides with their own agenda. But None of the players are unstoppable. And I got to really question if any of the players are even righteous. And when I look at that, I say, you know what? I see nothing good that comes out of this. No matter how it ends. If all the players are just striving for power, but they're all stoppable and they're all unrighteous, What a waste of time. But when we are working, not in our own power, not for our own arrogance, but for the good and glory of God, that's unstoppable. That results in good for us and good for other people. Let's pray. From Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? He will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tents with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. For I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Lord God, you are good. You are perfect in righteousness. Your power is unbeatable. Lord, today we ask you to empower us with your spirit to ignite our actions by your words. Not so that we can say, look at us, look how great I am, look what an awesome church, congregation we are, but so that people will see how great you are, the mighty things you can do, so that people can find the salvation that you offer and not cross over the river of death in ignorance. You use your might to save So we ask you to empower us to make, to help that happen. So that you can get the glory now and forever that you deserve. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.